Hello and welcome to Bites of History with Irene Walton. I am your host, Irene Walton. Have you ever wondered how it made it to your table? Have you ever wondered how it made it to your shelf? If you love food, then this is the show for you. Bites of History with Irene. This is our first real full-length, full-fledged episode And I am so stoked for it. You guys are going to get a feel of what Bites of History is all about. Before we dive in, I did want to say thank you guys so much for listening to the trailer episode last week, leaving five-star reviews, leaving suggestions. I am so, so appreciative. It's going to be so fun. I'm so happy that we're doing this together. For today's episode, we are going to dive into the history of why butter is different shapes on the different coasts of the United States. So before we start out, I just want to thank my sources. I looked into the 1948 52-page article (laughs) written by M.E. Parker called Princely Packets of Golden Health and learned so much from that. I also checked in on Wikipedia for some information, npr.com, huffingtonpost.com, and insider.com. So thank you to all of my sources. I would not be able to do this episode without you guys. I'm sure they're all listening. So first I want to start out with kind of the butter backstory. We have seen historical documents of butter for a very long time, going back to the Bible, where Abraham had his wife make cakes with butter on them for the angels who came to visit. We see historical accounts of Norway and Germany in trade with butter and wine, and then Norway being like, our butter is actually better than your wine. We need to stop this trade. Ireland hiding their butter in bogs so that people don't steal it and like it enhances the flavor. So people have cared about butter for a really long time. And I don't think it's ever going to stop. Rightfully so. Butter's fantastic. (laughs) However, it's not really until the early, early 1800s that butter production sort of comes into its own. As more and more people are leaving their rural country towns, they're moving to the city and they're missing that taste of home and that really delicious butter that a lot of people would just have in their house because they're moms and their wives would make butter because a lot of people had a cow on their property. So butter was something that was made but was not really commercially distributed for a long time till the early 1800s when commercial butter production kind of starts to take shape. So much so that the first board of trade ever established was for butter, which I think is so cool. So with commercial butter production ramping up, these creameries need to be able to ship their butter. If people want to buy it, they want to ship it. With shipping a fresh product, especially a dairy product that's likely to spoil, there was a lot of work and effort and energy that went into packaging butter. And how was this going to be able to move from tiny town New York to big city New York? How was this going to be able to move from Philadelphia down to or over to Virginia? Down? Over? Where's Virginia? (laughs) I spent a lot of time there. I should know. Anyway, so they created these casks, these big wooden barrels called firkins, which held, which is a hilarious name, as a lot of things in this episode will have. These were 120 pound barrels that were able to keep the butter fresh, keep the butter preserved, and get it from place to place. Now, the problem with that is much like wine and whiskey, the barrel is a big part of the flavor in those drinks. However, it's not necessarily a flavor that people wanted in their butter, especially people who were buying butter, which were 
honestly, a little bit more well-to-do people. One group of those more well-to-do people, which I don't know why I think is so funny, but I really get a kick out of this. The miners who are mining for gold in Alaska and doing pretty well at it are one of these groups of people that are like, yo, we need better butter. We have the money for higher quality product and we want our pancakes to taste better. As different socioeconomic statuses start wanting higher quality butter, this obviously, as you could imagine, leaves some room for butter hierarchy and some butter shenanigans, to put it nicely. I don't put it as aggressively as President Grover Cleveland did in the early 1900s with his quote, the adulteration of butter has become a menace. (laughs) That really does kind of encapsulate what was happening though. People were selling half butter, half margarine as full butter at a lower cost and lying to people. And another thing people were doing was with these different butter hierarchies, like for example, the brand Philadelphia in the late 1800s, not the cream cheese, but a butter brand called Philadelphia, they were already one of the highest quality butters. So much so that people were taking the cloth that the butter was wrapped in, washing it, ironing it, and reusing it to still make it look like they had that butter in their restaurant, in their house, wherever it may have been. So people were trying to keep up appearances with butter already. Meanwhile, other wonderful butters were starting to pop up and the cream of the crop, so to speak, was the Elgin Butter Company in Elgin, Illinois. They actually started because a condensed milk company nearby had a lot of byproduct cream that they weren't using. So Elgin was able to purchase it at a lower price and make a really great product that people immediately identified with and started to fall in love with. So around this time, butter packaging is also becoming super important. And there are these things called butter printers. Butter printers were making these one pound bricks of butter instead of big like scooped and clumped. (laughs) You guys know what I mean by that? When you would go to the store to get butter, there would be a big old cask of it. They would scoop out how much you wanted and then give it to you in in a wet cloth. Now... They were mechanizing the process. So they were they had butter printers, which created one pound blocks and everybody was super into them, but they needed something to put the blocks in, which is where you need a biscuit comes in. This is in the late 1800s, early 1900s. The National Biscuit Company has created this new cracker. It's called You Need a Biscuit and it's blowing up. It's the first food product that is ever advertised on billboards and everyone's losing their mind. Now, it's packaged in this really unique packaging in this box that we all know and love today. I don't know if you love it. I love it. But it's called the Peter's Package. And it is a box that has an inner seal, which is like a wax lining, and it's a folded container. So it's just, it's the box that we're all familiar with. It's got some wax paper on the inside to keep it nice and fresh because this cookie is really fatty and really flavorful but they don't want the grease to seep out onto the cardboard box. Everyone's losing their mind over this. The president of the Continental Creamery Company, John Parks, was like, yo, this would be sick as hell for butter. Hey, Frank Peters, the inventor of the Peters package, would it be possible, like totally not a big deal, could you please let us use that for butter at the Continental Creamery Company? And Frank was like, I mean, literally sure, but I do have exclusivity to the National Biscuit Company, so sorry about that. Then John Parks was like, okay, no problem. Let me talk to the president of that company. And so the president of the National Biscuit Company, (laughs) I love this story so much, 
the president of the National Biscuit Company was like, yes, you can use the package, but you have to call it, you need a butter, like you need a biscuit. And Parks was like, I hear you. No. Can I still use it? And the and the president of the biscuit company was like, yeah, whatever. So that's how we got the box that our butter comes in. And fun fact about that, John Parks actually named that product in the Peter's package, the butter. He called that Meadow Gold. And in the first five days of them printing 20,000 boxes, they were gone. Two years later in 1908, they actually were printing 80% of their butter in the Meadow Gold packaging. So this packaging was already off to a great start. And it worked out really well with the one pound printed butter blocks that were coming out of the Elgin Butter Company and the Philadelphia Butter Company. Lots of creameries were doing these blocks of butter. Now, something super cool was that in 1906, one of the chefs at the Chess and Checker Club in New Orleans, Louisiana, reached out to Swift & Co., which was their Kansas City butter supplier, and said, hey, love the butter, absolutely crushing it. Thank you so much. And Swift & Co. was like, oh my God, so happy to hear it. What's up? And the chef was, just so you know, this is all paraphrased. (laughs) This is not the direct quotes. And the chef was like, I love the butter, but I was wondering if we could possibly get one quarter pound prints instead of the one pound blocks, because it would be a lot easier for our consumers to have these individually on their table. It would reduce waste a lot. And I think people would just really like it. So Swift & Co. was like, you're a great buyer. Absolutely, we can do that for you. So this was then done by hand for a really long time. This style of butter box with four individually wrapped quarter pound prints is really popular, not just among restaurant industries, but among individual consumers within stores who are buying for themselves and for their singular households, and it dominates the market. And while most of our butter production is still happening on the East Coast, that's where they're starting to make these machines that will print your butter into one pound, cut it and wrap it into quarter pounds and put it into our Peter's package. These are popping up all over the place. The Elgin Butter Company creates one. The Morris Packaging in Toledo, Ohio creates one. The Doering Butter Printer comes along. There are so many of these machines that are printing butter exactly the way people want to be buying it, that it's going really, really well. So for about 50 years, that's just how we're getting our butter. It's packaged two by two in these long sticks that are now called the Elgin style butter stick. So if you've ever seen a long skinny stick of butter, that's called Elgin style. And it's the East Coast butter that anyone on the East Coast is very familiar with. However, West Coast, Best Coast comes around And in 1960, California, bing, bang, boom, is the top butter production state in the country. So then they're like, hey, Elgin, we love what you've been doing with the place. Quick question. Those butter printers that you have that chop everything into those cute little two by two long skinny sticks, would it be possible for us to grab a couple of those? And Elgin was like, wow, thank you so much. I'm glad you like what we've done here. However, we don't make those anymore because all of ours are great and we're also using all of them. Sorry. And California's like, T, no problem. So they're forced to fix the problem and they make their own butter printers. Now, the butter printers that we start to make, they print butter a little bit differently. Still delicious butter, still great, but they are much shorter sticks. They are much chunkier and they go by the name Western Stubbies which I think is very cute. (laughs) So that is the story 
of how we got different shaped butter on different coasts. One of the things that I think is like very cute and sweet is that a lot of butter companies around now, because they have access to both shapes of butter, because, you know, engineering has just gotten a little bit better and they were able to make whatever shape they wanted. A lot of these brands like Land Lakes, for example, has Elgin style butter printers and Western Stubby style butter printers. So that if you are familiar with one, you get to pick the one that you like. And I think that that's so cute. So if you're ever scrolling around on a website looking for a butter tray and it says, this holds East Coast and West Coast butter, now you know why. Or if you've ever just moved across the country and you're like, something's a little off. That's what I wanted to fill you in on today. Please, please, please let me know what else you would like to learn about in a quick little bite of history next week. You can check me out on some other platforms like my YouTube channel, my Instagram, and my Twitter. You can type in Irene Walton to all of those and it will come up. Thank you guys so much for listening and thank you for being a part of my first ever episode. I hope you liked learning about butter as much as I liked talking about it. Now I am going to go have some toast, I think. Okay, love you. Bye-bye. 